0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions,
1: and updates across the world of wrestling. To the
0: highway, in a brand new
1: day, gotta let it go, so fight. The a- Fast to to down, down. 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 I'm me- in
2: Welcome back to Open the Voicegate for October 8th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter, at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our red circle page. You press the red button, and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would Certainly appreciate it, and would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears, and joined as always by Case Slow in case. I, I how are you? Are you feeling pretty boku right now? Because I'm feeling pretty boku at this moment.
0: Mike, I you know am am not as well cultured as you. I, I don't necessarily have the worldly view that you do. So I think in order to answer this question, I need you to define that word for me.
2: So I actually did do research into this because I do know a level of Japanese, but I don't know like syntax. Like I can pick up some stuff. Uh, Boku is a masculine pronoun that's usually used when you are of like a teenage, like, like referring to yourself as, or your friends as like Boku. It's basically like feeling like you're a lad, you know, like that's the best thing. It's, it's lad and it's something that if you're older and male, you, you might use Boku when you're trying to like re-engage in your youth.
0: It's kind of the embodiment of perhaps the Steve Buscemi how-do-you-do-fellow-kids gif if you're the age of, say, a Naruki-doi using that word.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Or guys being dudes. Guys you being dudes?
0: Well, well, I'm Buku AF, Mike. How about that?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm feeling that way, too. I mean, this is the most dudes rock thing of Dragon Gate going on right now, but that that's kind of been one of the big topics of this last week in Dragon Gate as... We are going to talk this week a little bit about the Fukuoka doubleheader. We're going to talk about Korokan. We're going to talk about the big uh, table setting that they have done for the next few months. As we are, as we've been talking about for the last few weeks, case, we are on the precipice of probably the busiest month in the history of the Dragon System, and it feels like that. This there's a lot of table setting going on here, and we'll talk about that. Some returns, some debuts, some. Big swerves, and then also looking ahead to Kyoto. So it's it's been an interesting week, I would say, in Dragon Gate. Not necessarily, in my opinion, like one that it's like all these matches are matches are match of the year things. But for like Dragon Gate fans, especially like your week in week out Dragon Gate fans, it was like a certain familiarity. I felt like watching these three shows and how they kind of you're like, okay, we're, we're table setting here, and it was a pleasant time. It's not necessarily like the most like like star rating sign, but it's one of those shows that you watch. I feel like watching these three shows, I came away from them ultimately satisfied.
0: I think the Cork and Hall show in particular on October 7th felt like the truest sense of a TV taping where, I mean, I thought the main event was excellent, but you're looking at one really great match, but then a lot of different things spliced throughout the entire card that will come to fruition either in early November at Gate of Destiny or stuff that we will see morph and evolve as we close out 2020 and head into the new year. There is just a lot of stuff to like on those shows. And what we saw was the the formation and the foundation of a lot of this stuff taking place. I mean with the Brave Gate scene, we're kind of leading to the finality of that and the rivalry between ok- uh, Okuda and Ashita but a lot of the stuff is, like you said, it's table setting. It's getting us prepared for the huge, huge month of November, and I'm really satisfied with it. We're going to talk a little bit about the Fukuoka double shot from this past weekend, which I will say up top was perhaps the most enjoyable Fukuoka double shot they've done that's not to say it was anything special, but it was painless to watch, which is a nice change of pace in Fukuoka. And then the and show, which again, not spectacular, but in the midst of tournament season, when you've got a Champions Carnival that disappointed until the very last match, when you've got an N1 that delivered but was inconsistent, and a G1 where seemingly the A block is delivering and the B block is falling short, Dragon Gate continues to be the one true consistent promotion
2: yeah and like that might be my biggest takeaway that other than like our inherent bias when i look at what promotions have done in 2020 even grading it on the scale of 2020 is a year like and like none other dragon gate has put out like with this week and especially with how we dread fukuoka shows they have put out the most enjoyable product that i feel like that even if you are someone that goes in and you're a pure work rate person there's enough stuff going on here that i mean like just like three-star city but it's like a pleasant three-star city but it's we like watch this and it's pretty clear to me like how far ahead dragon gate is from everyone else in the world right now in storytelling and playing together i feel like entirely satisfying shows and playing to their audience in a way that i feel like a lot of promotions have had to kind of ignore because of covid restrictions dragon Gate's figured it out and it's and i think it's something that if you're someone who just dips into dragon gate just listens to the show you're probably like oh you're being hyperbolic but it's worth seeking out like these things because week in week out, I feel like, and it's been a thing since July that Dragon Gate has put out some of the most enjoyable wrestling in the world right now.
0: I think it goes back to January. I mean, I was really high on that January Cork and Hall show. And then we saw the KZ challenge in February and the champion gate stuff in March before thing, got, things got shut down. But you're exactly right. I mean, for me, Given the year that New Japan has had and the struggle that they've had adapting to the limited capacity space. Now, granted, I'm a few shows behind the G1, so maybe that will change after I say this. But, I, you know, this is the first year where I can definitively say in a long time that Drangate has had a better in-ring year than New Japan. But New Japan started off the year so hot. I mean, January, February, March... I guess they just, they January or February, they never ran shows in March. I was so into New Japan and, and thought we were going to have this great year of Dragon Gate and New Japan as being my central focuses in wrestling. New Japan disappointed me when they returned from their COVID hiatus, and so uh, that attention has been shifted to Dragon Gate. But outside of the in-ring perspective, that's not what is, what is important here. I feel like, especially in Japan, where, you know, Big Japan booking is is just atrocious. It's just another level of horrible. And All Japan booking, which I'm not super connected to, but I know enough All Japan hardcores that either are desperate for Miyahara to get back to the top of the card to bring stability to the company, or are looking for Miyahara to be used even less and to push some new talent. There's a lot of dissatisfaction within the hardcore Western All Japan fan base. Noah, I just hate the way they book. I feel like they've been doing the same thing with slightly different guys and slightly different unit names for the last three or four years. Despite some highs in the in-ring this year, most of those being Masaki Mochizuki related. But still, Noah can deliver a good show, but I'm not invested in their booking at all. And if you're comparing Dragon Gate's booking to New Japan, the evil world title run was offensive and awful and dreadful And look, Tetsuya Naito doesn't exactly light my world on fire as the top guy in the company. I ultimately think he is best served as an El Generico chasing figure rather than the top dog so I've been completely disinterested in New Japan's booking for the entire year the one company and I know it's this podcast and we are the host and we cover Dragon Gate Closer than anyone there is an inherent bias there you're right Mike but I feel like past the in-ring product what we have loved so much this year is just how solid the booking has been and I think that was very apparent on the gate of victory, Corkin Hall show, and a lot of that was set up by the doubleheader in Fukuoka.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm totally with you, and let's use that to transition talking about Fukuoka. Uh, I'm going to run down the results real quick, case, and then we can give our big takes. I mean, it, there they were Fukuoka shows, but they still are Fukuoka shows. So like match to match, like there's not really a lot to talk about, but there are some big things coming out of Fukuoka that definitely applied into Corkin. So. I'm going to do that and then we can give a big take so that works for you. Please. All right, so the first show was on October 4th. Both these shows were on October 4th. They'll be on the network until the 12th. Attendance was 294 for the afternoon show, which was down from the evening attendance from the last show which was 333. However, across the double the double shot, they drew 55 more fans. So they were at 636 for this month whereas they were at 585 last month, but Looking at, going through the results from the uh, afternoon show. Opened with a Dragon Gate versus Tory tag. Kesuke Akuda and Punch Tomonaga lost to Naruki Doi and Don Fuji when Fuji pinned Tomonaga with the ghetto clutch. Six man tag. Problem Dragon Monday Ryu, uh, Dragon Daya and Jimmy versus the RED team of Kaido Ishida, Takashi Yoshida and Diamante. Diamante got the pin on Jimmy with the Vuelta Finale in ten in eleven minutes and five seconds. Match. Three was another unaffiliated tag you had the Torimon team of Ultimo Dragon, Dragon Kid, and Shuji Kondo versus the unaffiliated team of Benkei, Gamma, and Hoho Lun, and it was Kondo getting the pin on Lun in 11 minutes and 20 seconds with a King Kong lariat match 4 was a singles match Ryosu, Shimizu, and Yamato went to a non-contest in 12 minutes and 44 seconds due to RED interference match 5 was Dragon Gate versus RED 8 man tag Dragon Gate was KZ, Yosuke San Maria, Kota Minoru and Jason Lee. R.E.D. was Ada, BB Hulk, Kai, and Kazuma Sakamoto. Kai penned Yosuke San Maria with the medio Impact in 17 minutes and 36 seconds. The main event was the Kyushu Pro Tag Team Championship match, where the champions of the Torimon team of Susumu Yokosuka and Ginki Horiguchi successfully made their first defense against the Kyushu Pro team of Mintai Kid and Kodai Nozaki. And then we look into the afternoon show. The afternoon or the evening show, pardon me. The evening show had 342 there. Opened with a buku tag of Naruki Doi, Ryo Saito, and Ryotsu Shimizu, versus the unaffiliated team of Ginki Horiguchi, Gamma, and Hoho Loon. It was Shimizu, pinning Loon with the Ultimo Style, Magistral Cradle. Singles match went to a 15-minute time limit draw between Kento Kabune and Takedo Kame. Uh, the uh, next match was a was a trios match ultimo dragon madoka kakuta and jimmy beating takashi yoshida kazuma sakamoto and diamante the triangle gate champion team when kakuta scored the first pers- first pinfall of anyone in the class of 2020 when he got a schoolboy on yoshida in 13 minutes match four was a dragon gate versus Toryumon eight man tag it was the dragon gate team of yosuke san maria kesuke akuta jason lee and problem dragon mondai ryu versus the Toryumon team of Masato Yoshino, Dragon Kid, Susumi Yokosuka, and Shuji Kondo. It was Yokosuka again that won the Yokosuka Cutter and on Problem Dragon in 16 minutes and 55 seconds. Match 5 was a special singles match with two people that I wouldn't argue as necessarily making a special singles match, but that's just commentary. It was Don Fuji defeating Punch Homonage with the Hime in 7 minutes and 7 seconds. Semi Main was a straight tie between Dragon Gate and RED, KZ and Dragon Daya versus Ada. And Kaido Ishida. Ada got the win with the Imperial Uno on Daya. Main event of the uh, Across the shows was a Dragon Gate versus RED six man tag. Yamato, Benkei, and Kota Minora representing Dragon Gate versus the RED team of BB Hulk, Kai, and Hio. It was Yamato over Hio in 18 minutes and 42 seconds with the Galleria. So, just like the, re- the results wise, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to really get into in the Evening card. Did you have any like big takeaways from the afternoon card at all?
0: The afternoon card was fun. I think the first three matches you can skip, there's nothing there, but I really liked matches four, five, and to an extent six. I mean, six was fun to watch because you had Mentai Kid, who is a dollar store hubbo, and you had Kodai Nozaki, who looks like Yuji Hino 8 Shigehiro Eerie. And out came just a monster of a man. But specifically in matches four and five, you've got Shimizu versus Yamada, which like you said, that match ended in no contest due to an RED interference. I was all in on this match before the interference spot because I think, like I've been saying, we were so bogged down and had gotten so used to this sleazy Shimizu who worked a step slower wasn't quite as quick as the rest of the roster and maybe relied more on a snarl or a facial expression than his pure work. Shimizu was back, and maybe he's not going to be able to show just how good of a wrestler he is teaming with Saito and Tamanaga, but it's okay because there is a core value to Shimizu that I have not seen in a long time that returned in this Yamato match. I thought they were building to a legitimately great match before the interference spot, but it was match five of the afternoon show that was arguably my favorite match of the entire weekend. That Casey, Manora, Lee, and Maria versus Ata, Holt, Kai, and Sakamoto. And Mike, that is because of the performance of Yosuke Santa Maria and her battles with Kai. I thought she was brilliant in this match. But we did not talk about these shows at all. I don't know if this match even registered with you, but I thought Maria was terrific.
2: I completely co-sign on matches one through three. I was, uh, Shimizu and Yamato, I thought it was entirely enjoyable, but it was very lighthearted. And in a way that through watching these three shows, I probably would go back and like, I went three on this, but in retrospect, it probably is a match that I'm more fond of, but yeah, like the key matchup of this weekend or at least on the show was Kai versus Maria those two just had like a blast of a stretch and then you also had like how everyone was really doing great interplay work and this is kind of a match they ran a very similar version of it in Cork and as the main event and just everyone was going going to going on full gear just was a full out thing Hulk looked great in this as well this was a truly exceptional match and easily the match of the night and I like Kodai Nozaki. He looks like a... I think he looks more like a combination of, of Irie and, and Ryota Hama, personally. But he does have the largest thighs I've ever seen on a pro wrestler. He is just wide. He's a big man. But the semi-main was an absolute blast. Like, like This was definitely worth going out there, going out of your way to watch. It might be something just because if you don't want to mess around with all the uh, other matches on the show... When the infinity cut goes up, I bet this one makes the infinity. So you might want to hold off for that if if you're not looking at jumping on the network immediately, in my opinion.
0: I thought Maria's performance in that tag match and her bouncing off of Kai reminded me a lot of Masano Yakashuji of Michinoku pro fame, where he was someone that was even on the Michinoku roster was smaller than everybody else. And whether it was a Dick Togo or a Takamichinoku, whoever, whatever hot heel they had at the time, seemed to always do the most amount of damage to Yakashuji. And Maria, obviously given her former friendship with Kai and Tribe Vanguard, seemingly her recurring allegiance to Yamato, and just the dynamics of the soft babyface Maria with this new rogue heel Kai. I just thought this worked perfectly for a go uh, for a road to tag match like this was. I, I don't know why in particular this match jumped out at me. I went three and three quarters with it and really flirted with going four, simply off of their interplay alone. Everyone else in the match was fine, but anytime Kai and Maria were in the ring. I thought their interactions were electric, and I was already into this Yamato versus Kai storyline. I'm pumped we're getting a big, hyped singles match between the two because really it's not like we get a ton of non title important singles matches. So we're getting Yamato versus Kai at Gate of Destiny. And I thought the, the slow build, or I guess just the small build in the grand scheme of things, of Kai going after Maria here was a home run. I thought that match was really, really excellent.
2: Yeah, yeah. This was—I went three and a half, so I was only a shade lower than you on this. It just was something that, like, when we've talked about Maria in the past, when she is playing like this the scrappy underdog babyface, it is some of, the, some of the best performances that the company has. And showing that immediate chemistry with Kai— was something special, and then, yeah, the way that they've kind of been like, alright, these usually, these special singles matches on big shows are usually the KZ special, but now we're going to have, like, a heated feud into the mix, really excites me for Gate Destiny. It's something that, you know, with them having two huge cards in 12 days, that's a smart idea to, to like, use this as something to build up a show that, you know, I mean, y- you have to get stuff done for, and I feel like that that was really remarkable, and it's worth going out of your way for. Uh, any other big takeaways you have for the Kyushu Tag Championship match. I mean, Mintai Kid, I've seen a lot of, he always kind of uh, like reminds me more of like a, and this is no, 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 uh, knock on him because I really enjoy this roster. i about to throw this comp onto. He reminds me of like a second generation, Billy King kid in a way.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, that is, you know, that is a really good comp
2: and it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And it's, I mean, it was fine. I mean, I will say the most flagrant violation of uh, crowd cheering rules happened in this match when there actually were crowd calls for the Kyushu Pro guys. So they brought their fans and they were rowdy for this match. And then, yeah, Nozaki is just like a bowling ball of a man who is the only person I've seen to convincingly do a one-minute head-scissors hold. And I'm like, you know what? It probably would take me a minute to either pass out or figure out a way be- between this guy's like, ham-hawk legs.
0: The match was fun. I really thought the Kyoshu Pro guys were going over, and when they didn't, it made me really intrigued to see, I guess, when and where Horiguchi is going to drop those belts. I mean, it'll probably happen on a Kyoshu Pro show, which makes sense. I thought they would give the locals the rub here, and they did not. But the match was fun. I mean, I went three and a half with it. I liked the interplay that they had, and uh, it was perhaps the most enjoyable three-match stretch I've seen on a Fukuoka show, because although I liked the evening show a lot, the matches that I liked there were a little bit more dispersed throughout the card. So I I was pumped coming off that afternoon show. I was in a good mood watching uh, the show, which doesn't exactly happen in this town (laughs) all that often post-Hakata Star Lanes.
2: Yeah, yeah. The One last note about the day show. After defending their Kyushu Pro Tag titles, Yokosuka and Horaguchi made a challenge for the Twin Gate. So that was our second title match at Gay of Destiny signed. It will be Kodaman or Jason Lee making the second defense of the Open the Twin Gate titles against Tori Montaigne. And the evening show, there was stuff I think I liked on the evening show more than what I liked on the afternoon show. But I think you're absolutely right. Like there is like a, there is stuff that kind of just like slows the show down. So it's not necessarily like a stretch out of here that was really great. It was more of just like picking and choosing, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I if I had the pencil, I'd be booking KZ and Daya versus Eita and Ishida in every town I run in. I mean, I want a a version of that match at Cork and Hall. I want a version of that match on a pay-per-view. I want a version of that match at Osaka. I thought their chemistry was just off the charts. And to me, that is the future of the company. I mean, those are the four guys that I would be investing my stock in with, you know, may, maybe hedging a little bit for Kento Kabune and Sora Fujikawa, but those are the guys that that matter, and that's no slight on, say, a Benkei. Benkei's just held the Open the Dream Gate title before. I think KZ, Daya, Eita, who's the current champion, and Nishida, who's the current Brave Gate champion, when I'm looking at the future, I think those are the guys that are going to really be in the mix. I thought that match was just absolutely terrific, and then the other news is the time limit draw that the rookies had in match two and the Kakuta victory in match number three.
2: Yeah, so my quick thoughts on this in my main event. Uh, I thought this match was really interesting because how much of the match was basically KZ versus Ada and Ishida. Like, Daya was there, but Daya came in for moments and that was it. This was basically like almost like a handicap match in a way other than getting... Falls broken up, and I thought like this was like one of those matches that like this is the Dragon Gate near future, whereas the rookies were seeing the far future. You know, like this is the next three years versus the next ten years. So I know I feel... it sounds
0: I I know it sounds dumb to say this, like this is a really basic and obvious thing to say, but KZ is so good, <laughs> like he is really. I mean, he does small stuff, and it's just a weird. I, It's just a weird thing with Drangate where I I don't know if the tastemakers will see this uh, the way they should. And I think just it's, although I think the promotion is incredibly accessible, there's a narrative that says otherwise. But KZ's doing stuff in this match where he's like fighting off arm ringers. Like Ashina's just trying to twist his arm like any wrestling match is featured ever. And KZ is fighting valiantly to prevent that. And this is like two minutes into the match. Like, everything he does is interesting. Everything he does is with maximum effort. He's great on the mat. We've seen him brawl. We've seen him fly. He is as complete of a package. He's a five-tool player, Mike. I mean, he's unbelievable. (laughs) And I don't think he's winning the belt at Gate of Destiny. If he does, oh, boy, we are going to have some fun on this show. Because, one... Uh, We can start digging that grave for Ata real quick. And two, I'm all aboard KZ being the champion. I think it's going to happen eventually. I just don't think it's going to happen in November. But I, you know, for as much as we sort of doubt Ata and have our issues with him, and I I don't even think it's his fault that this reign has been a little lackluster. I think that's the booking around him. But it's Ata and he has a history of not exactly living up to expectations, so you kind of have to wonder why that is. But... I have no doubt that the Gate of Destiny main event is going to deliver off the fact that KZ is involved. Uh, Just off him alone, he could be wrestling a broom out there, and I'm sure I'd go four and a quarter with it. I know it sounds dumb, but he is just really, really good, and I don't think he gets the credit for it. Because this is a guy five years ago that was wrestling in overalls, and like, oh, he's a Brave Gate champion, we've seen his peak, and he blew that out of the water. And it's been this gradual transition for the past decade, so it's not like, say, a Dragon Dio, where I know you were very down on him, and then all of a sudden one day he figured it out. We're like, oh my god, we have to pay attention to Dragon Dio now. It's just KZ, just from 2012 to 2020, has picked up uh, some tools along the way, has lost some weight every year, has changed his gear every once in a while, and now, he's a main event guy! He's so good! Yeah, and if
2: anything, like the power of kz and talking about accessibility kind of leads me to a point uh with some promotions acting like that they have like southern style tag team matches this was very much a southern style tag team match case like this is a, probably like one of the most accessible tag matches you could have out of dragon gate because it was all based around the idea of kz the guy who's going to be a your star the guy that's going to be in your main event dealing with like the two singles champions who were just picking them apart and you weren't able to get the hot tag to the flashy youngster who comes into the House of Fire does vaulting handspring to Harris because he's an insane person, which that that, that is our insane thing that diet did this week was he he did vaulting handspring to Harris. That's wild. But it just like was worked in such a way that it's very easy to see like, and it's kind of unfair almost in a way, like you can see like, oh yeah, KZ versus Ada, you see the clear difference there. But, and that is part of, of Ada. That part of KZ over the last eight years picking up so much skill as you said, like going from the, the biggest loss post possible just slumming around in a work suit and crazy hair, picking up falls to eventually pretty much starting in 2015, him figuring it out more and more, uh, getting injured coming back, winning the Bravegate champion then being like the solid tag worker in Die Hearts and Tribe and Vanguard and then finally in 2017 everything coming together So it's pretty remarkable, and it's one of those things that I don't think they'll make the change there. I think that title change for Ada, no matter what, is going to happen at Kobe World, if it happens at all. But
0: great tag. Uh, I will say real quick, last note on that tag match. That mm -hmm. tag was everything that FTR versus yes. Jack Evans and Helico should have been that match that just happened on dynamite this past week. That was, that was the template. KZ, Daya, Eita, and Ishida laid the template for that match. That is what they could have copied that move for move. Cause Evans can probably do a lot of the same stuff that Daya can do. And instead we got the bloated FTR tag match, but that is a different Mike Spears podcast.
2: <laughs> that, that's a different podcast. I'll be recording later today. Uh, <laughs> yeah no 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 like this was like i like really this was like the most southern tag i've seen in a modern wrestling promotion in a while and i think that's kind of remarkable and it's one of those things that everyone says that Jado and gato are such memphis heads like this is something that you would see straight out of continental like this is the, the this you could see the you could see this as an endpoint for that uh let's get in like the other like major big things that were happening on the show of course we're we we got to talk we gotta talk about rookies for a second case We have a 15-minute draw between Kento Kabuna and Takedo Kamai. This was my match of the day. This was my favorite thing that I saw across both of the Fukuoka shows. I went four-flat on it. And then we had a really fun Ultimo and his kids versus the Triangle Gate champion team where after a whole lot of R.E.D. shenanigans, you had kento Kabuniko and like i've had enough of it clocking uh yoshida in the head and that uh, giving the uh, uh giving the opportunity for madoka kakusa to get the schoolboy. as mentioned earlier he is the first member of this class of 2020 to have a win against someone who's on the main roster and they celebrated it they had him on his shoulders and that just made takashi yoshida flip out about it and just was like a really like satisfying match to match like we got to see like the, the two people at the front of the class really put it together for 15 minutes. And then you guys see Madoka Kakuta, the most interesting looking person in wrestling that like just do lariats and just chop people and just be lanky as all get out. And it was, it was just like a whole, bu- a whole bunch of fun. And that, at least that was my big takeaway I had from like this two match stretch on the evening card.
0: Madoka Kakuta kind of wrestles like someone who spams moves on a WWE video game. If you're playing them online yeah. Like, he's a good wrestler, but you could also make the argument that not, like he doesn't string anything together. He is hitting discot lariats and chops and moving on with his life. Whereas Kabuna and Kabai, like, oh, that looks like professional wrestling. That's a structure of a match I've seen before. Kakuta's just a fucking weirdo. Like, that is the <laughs> only way I can describe it. This dude is just weird. But, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Gate of Destiny just a second ago. And I wanted to ask you, given this victory and the success they all had at Cork and Hall, are we building towards some sort of Kakuta Kabune Kamai versus Yoshido Sakamoto Diamante Triangle Gate match at Gate of Destiny? If it's not happening
2: at Gate of Destiny, I could very easily see them making this into a three-way trios match. Which I uh, think is, yes,
0: I think that's the more realistic option is throwing a Torium on team in the mix as well. Cause you're going to have yeah. to get some of those guys on the card. I mean, you could Boku easily tag. Do, yeah. Tag oh, that's, that's, that's exactly it. That's probably what they'll do is, is some sort of Shimizu, Tamanaga, Saito combination there. Cause I think Doyle will be in a more important match. Mike, I think that yeah. might be the, uh, it would be, it would be a big deal, a big deal. If they gave the rookies that, that opportunity at Kobe world But it's world in name, it's not the show that's happening at the end of July, and I think they've earned it. And I think that's what this comes down to, is if they all of a sudden have Kakuta, Kabune, and Kamai in a feature title match at Kobe World, you know, something that's going to happen fourth or fifth on the card, I'm not going to blink at that. That makes complete sense to me. And I think you're right in saying that, hey, that Buku tag is probably happening there with the the team minus doy who will be doing something far more important
2: <laughs> I, I i mean he is a lad but he's a lad with more important things on his mind you know he's makes...
0: the guy in the friend group that has the real job and like the other guys are still just kind of slumming around but he's you know he's coming to poker night but he's coming from the office and he's still got the suit and tie on when he gets there and he just rolls know, up his
2: sleeves and exactly de- and you know the
0: fellas they're gonna razz him a little bit ah you know went corporate on us but it's Naruki rookie doy he's got bills to pay
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's not going to stay at Poker Night as long as everyone else because he has to get back home. You know, he has his wife. He has to get at to early because him and his wife have to go to Costco the next day. You know, maybe <laughs> it's work where in the I'm backyard. going right
0: after this podcast. I completely well, understand. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but it's one of those things that like just like this time limit draw. It it's something where, and I feel like we were so high on Kabune, especially you were so high on Kabune right after debut in the early part of this year but like this show really is like he is like the most easily projectable person in this in this trio because but kakuta you might as well just write x factor on his gear because we just don't yeah who knows with him and that's incredibly compelling but come on, but with kamei kamei's big thing is that we're going to be tracking him and a lot of things is that he's just as technically proficient as kabune if not more but it's going to be how much the, the underdog thing is either going to propel him, like KZ, like Maria, or is it something that's going to put like, a, pretty, like, f- a pretty severe ceiling on him? And that was like my big takeaway out of this tag match, or out of the singles match, where it got to a point where Kamei had Kabune's number, like when they were doing the two-minute, one-minute calls. It wasn't Kabune who was looking like he was putting things together, or they were going 50-50. It was basically it basically was Kamei outlasting his rival the person that nominally is number one in the class and just not being able not having the time not having the strength in him to be able to roll him up for the three count and I thought like that was a really remarkable way to tell a story between these two guys that I mean they're probably gonna be linked their entire career and this is like one of those important matches that's gonna be like there was the night where we went to a draw but I had your number if we had five more minutes three more minutes I would have beat you and I thought that, that was a real compelling thing and something that Fukuoka, as a crowd that likes to sit on their hands, was getting into at moments.
0: Oh God! I mean, it's classic Young Lion structure. It's a, it's such an effective formula, and you're exactly right. These are, I mean, these are guys that debuted in the same match on the same night. BB Hulk and Shingo will forever be pitted against one another, and Shingo debuted eight months before Hulk did. So, it doesn't matter where they go, if one of them leaves, if one of them gets injured, it's a, it's a similar deal to Ishida and Yamamura, but I think that is the sort of dynamic that we're looking at, is no matter what happens, the story of Kabuna is incomplete without the story of Kamai.
2: Yeah, and, and it's something that I feel like that this match is going to be really worth you're wild for that. Uh, how'd you go on this match? Because I feel like I might have been a little bit higher on you going for flat.
0: I went three and a half, but I I don't begrudge you for going four at all. It is very much right up your alley.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just well, I turtle coon. Whenever turtle coon's putting it together, I get, I'm invested in him. Like I, I he's he's smaller than other. He's scrappy. He chops the crap out of people and he got to a point where it's like i had you out on your like you were on your stomach and i just didn't have the strength to roll over i live for that kind of stuff case and then and then the whole thing of kakuta like being able to like get that pinfall there and everyone just jumping in the ring like celebrating it was such a cool moment
0: it's a great moment i can't believe they did it on this show and not cork at hall it almost seems like they jumped the gun a little bit to create a moment because i don't kakuta's not from fukuoka is he I don't think
2: Kakuta is. Give me a no, second. No, he is.
0: No, I'm looking at it right now. He is from uh, Kanazawa City in the Ishikawa Prefecture. So he's not. I don't know in relation if that's close or not, but it. you're right. It felt like, a. I mean, they acted like it was Kobashi and Budokan Hall winning the triple crowd. It was unbelievable. But it was a big moment that I'm not going to put down the city anymore, but it just seemed like it was perhaps fitting for a bigger venue. But I, I'm glad they did it because they carried that momentum right into Cork and Hall. So he is,
2: so the Ishikawa uh, prefecture is north of Osaka and Kobe. So it's not in Kansai. It's not in that region, but it's the region right north of it. Just the more you know, the more you know.
0: Uh, yeah, hey, look, I will take that information, Mike, and I will use it in my day to day life.
2: It is technically in the same region as Nagano, Gifu, Aichi, and of course, uh, Shingo Takagi's home prefecture of Yamanashi. It's in the Chubu uh, region of of Japan on the so, Honshu island.
0: I- I'm glad you brought up Shingo Takagi. We're recording this his a uh, two-year anniversary of his debut in New Japan, which is wild to think about. Can you believe Shingo's been gone for two years from Dragon Gate?
2: It, it's one of those things that, like, he's such a presence. He was such a presence, and, like, the way that it all happened, and, like, it, it's, like, something where, like, a lot of the splits and a lot of people who leave the Dragon system... It's so acrimonious, and there's so many questions there. It's one of those things that I'm like, you know what? Two years behind, well, 24 years of, or 24 months of hindsight, I'm like, you know what? It was a big moment. It made sense for all parties. There it seems to be like one of the most positive relationships they've ever had of someone leaving the system. And it's just wild, like thinking about it, because we're also, that means that we are two years away from the last uh, uh, Hulk versus Shingo match, which is wild to think as well
0: which I believe happened in Fukuoka. I think it happened in Hakata Star Lanes, but... It
2: was Star Lanes, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I But on a more, I guess, contextual and, and... uh, I can't think of the word I'm thinking of. Anyways, about Shingo Takagi, is, is that the comp for Kakuta? And I know I hmm. stumbled into this analogy because I can't think of the word and I still can't think of what I'm trying to think of. But anyways, to move past that after I stumbled into this... Is, is Kakuta Shingo, I mean, according to the Gaiora website, Kakuta is a little bit shorter than Shingo on his New Japan profile. That could be New Japan working his height just a little bit. That wouldn't so. surprise me at all. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I think the the one thing that is drastically different, and this is, this is purely a think piece, especially coming after Cork and Hall, where I thought Kakuta and Kagatora were really laying in strikes with one another. And it seems like maybe that is Kakuta's strength. Whereas Kabune uh, is just really well-rounded. Kamai's a little more flashy. is very charismatic. Maybe Kakuta's this guy that can just throw hammers. And while he doesn't have the fire that Shingo had, even from match one, I mean, Shingo was just built for the part, acted like a gym class bully. He had it from day one. Kakuta doesn't have that same charisma, but I wonder from an in-ring standpoint if maybe that's what we should be looking at. You know what? Uh,
2: and it's also something that, like, I totally see that, especially with the idea that they're making the Discus Lariat. It seems to be uh, Kakuta's big move early. Like, you can make, like, the one-to-one comparison to the Pumping Bomber. Like, like that. I feel like that's pretty easy. The interesting thing is, is that I feel like that Kakuta, at least, he's someone that, like, he's so... And I'm not trying to say this, like, in a way of being dismissive or like this. He's so interesting-looking. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like you, you, you look at him, and at least when I look at him, I'm like, I'm wondering what it would be like if he's a guy who decides to put weight on, you know? Because he's someone that, like, because of his height, he looks very lanky. And I don't know if, like, his body type is one that could really, like just go pump iron, eat a lot of protein. But it's one of those things that, like, it's something that the more I think about it, the more I understand the comp you're making there. And it, it's something that's interesting because, like, when you, like, looked at Shingo, Shingo debuted as, like, he wasn't even debuted as a prospect. He, he debuted as someone in actuality. Whereas Kakuta, maybe it's something where we see him slowly pick up the throws. He picks up, like, certain things and maybe gains power, gains some more mass, and I can see that happening. Like, like I think you might be onto something there. It'll be interesting to see that to see how it if he ends up ending up this way over the next 12 months.
0: And a lot of it will depend on whether or not he puts on weight because despite his height which he does seem to be bigger than most of the roster, he is still rail thin. Now granted, he's a child. He's a few months younger than I am. He he just turned 21. So I'm going to give him some time to put on that mass, but it seems like for all of the other rookies, we've been able to say, like, oh, they remind me of this, or they kind of act like that. Kakuta has been the one that we've been struggling for a comp. And, and after watching that Corkin show, I, I'm leaning at least towards the early stages of his career, looking at a Shingo-type wrestler to accurately describe what Kakuta can bring to the table.
2: So, looking at what they're billed as, Kakuta is five centimeters shorter than Shingo. But he looks a lot taller because... So, 5 centimeters, 2 inches. Because he's 82 kilos. And Shingo is built at 96. So... And I think that's entirely body type there, too. Because he is very lanky. You know? he's Very much, very like much so. Like that. So, it, it, it's one of the things that will be interesting to kind of follow up on. Uh, other big notes of this show. Uh, we touched on this. We didn't touch on this when we were talking about the semi-main event. After the match, Ada cut a promotes targeting and that would pay off immediately when we get into Korokin. Uh, Team Boku it comes out to start recruiting uh, punch Homanaga, which also paid off at Korokin. And then we were talking about Yamato and Kai after the main event. It was Yamato and Kai set for Gate of Destiny. Uh, anything else you wanted to touch on on Fukuoka before we get into Korokin?
0: No, god, I can't believe we talked about those shows for that long. Let's talk about Korokin.
2: Alright, so Korokin was on the 7th. It will be on the network until the 14th. There is not the English version up yet. I expect it. If it's not up by the end of the weekend, I'd be stunned. Uh, attendance, 685, their biggest attendance since coming back in with COVID restrictions, up from 658. And j- should we just go from opener up on this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so the opener was a Dragon Gate versus Tori Montag match. It was Keisuke Okuda teaming with the Open the Twin Gate champion, Jason Lee against Susumi Yokosuka and Yosushi Konda. It was Okuda getting the win over Kanda. with the the lights out in 10 minutes and 16 seconds okay so i know in your review you were like this is like a breezy match that like just kind of happened and that i i never read your reviews if i'm watching the show later just so it doesn't like color my opinion of this but like this was like the the most like oh we're just gonna go out there and have a decent open tag opener tag it's not gonna be outstanding we're just gonna have a solid match that one could have and i came away with this and went like okay this is fine uh okuda and Yokosuka that's interesting would like to see more of but no other big takes coming out of this
0: I really like what Akuda and Yokosuka bring to the table. I think they have good chemistry. Seemingly in every match, and it, it makes sense given Akuda's time in Mochizuki Dojo that they do the middle kick Jumbo no Kachi spot where those two strikes are intercepting with one another. So uh, Breezy is, I, I guess after after hearing you say that Breezy is an interesting word to describe this very physical, very stiff match, but it was a Dragon gate opener. So it's like, it's, I, you know, you know what it is. It's the first match at the card. It's, we've all seen it before.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we get something that we have not seen before, as it was a three-way tag team match. This was a three-way single-fall match. This isn't their usual elimination um, rules. It was the uh, rookie top team of Kento Kabune and Takedo Kame versus the unaffiliated team of Masaki Mochizuki and Gamma versus the Torimon team of Don Fuji and the returning Kenichiro Arai, my main man, Eric. And it was Kabune getting the pin on Don Fuji in 10 minutes and 6 seconds with an inside cradle. And now he has scored a win over a Ross remember. So big moment there. Erikin versus the rookies. Uh, I kind of turned into like a four on two match for a lack of different words. Most of this thing. And it was a really fun time.
0: Yes. Yeah, the first time we've seen a Rye. Since the hiatus, he last worked the Champion Gate show in Osaka where he lost his open the triangle gate belt, which was just a few weeks after winning them and separating his shoulder in the process. So it was good to see him back in the fold. I'm going to rise someone that can still go on the lower half of the card. I like when he's around, I think he adds an interesting dynamic to the roster. And I just thought this match was so brilliantly laid out, because you're right, it turned into a 4-on-2 match for most of the time. And now, I don't entirely know where you go with this, because yes, Kabune and Kamai scored the fall with Kabune pinning Fuji, but it was the Masaki Mochizuki kick that knocked out Don Fuji, and then Kamai just shoved Mochizuki out of the way so his partner could get the pin. It was such a brilliant finish. It was so well done in a match that was just very entertaining from start to finish. And so that is kind of what we were talking about at the start of the show. Like, look, was this match, you know, four stars? Absolutely not. I went three and a half. I really liked it. But it's it's the booking literally up and down the card. You had these guys that are less than a year into their careers and they're, they're being given something to sink their teeth into. And clearly, from the results in Fukuoka, from this match, and from match three, something is happening with the class of 2020. And I don't know what it is, and I still can't entirely pick up
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, Off. Again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: On what they're going for, maybe it is that triple threat triangle gate match that I think would be absolutely terrific if they did. I don't know, but they clearly have confidence in these kids to to give them. What is starting to become a pretty interesting storyline, I really like what they're doing on the undercards, and I hope it continues until we see their elevation.
2: Yeah, and it's something that it's kind of directly in contrast to what happens with the Kakuta on the next match, but it's like they were able to handle the guys. And it's kind of been like an interesting storyline of them having rookie matches, them having like special challenge matches where they were able to go like 10 minutes and then they'd finally get put down they were able to show fight but they were sticking with them now it's not just that they're sticking with the veterans it's that they are either actively better or they're they have their number but they still don't have the finishing stretch they, they don't have the kill shot yet because you had the idea that kakuda got the pin on yoshida after kobuna clocked him in the face and we had the one that this was a misfire but they were able to capitalize on it and it's so interesting to me because in contrast to other companies and how they treat rookies it's like no these guys are progressing you could see them getting better and better and they're kind of putting it together and it's such a fulfilling thing to see like okay not only are they able to handle this and equip themselves and if this was like 3 months ago this would have been like an absolute beatdown this would have been like that Kobe Sambo Hall match that you you know that, that was truly exceptional but this is like so fulfilling to see this that like they're getting it together. They're not all the way there yet. I mean, they're not beating them without like misfires or without distractions, but they understand enough and they're good enough to be like, oh, we take the, we see this opportunity in front of us. All right, we're going to take this opportunity and go with it. And I find that very fulfilling and one of those things that makes the show incred- incredibly watchable, at least this week as well.
0: Well, I'm so glad they didn't spend months and months of beating down these guys and having their heads get kicked in. Because we got a month of that, most of August was these guys stepping up to these legends, giving it their all, and falling short. But instead of just repeating that cycle for the next six months, these wrestlers have evolved, and now their matches look different, and they're bringing new things to the table. And because of that, in in a kayfabe sense, but also in a very real sense, they are evolving as wrestlers, and it's really nice to see a constant evolution, and I understand that a company like New Japan has the way they do things, and it's going to take them three or four years to escape the black tights, and then they're going to go on excursion for a year, and then they'll come back, and maybe there'll be a Hiromu, or maybe there'll be a Master Watto. That's up for fate to decide. But with Dragon Gate, it's just, I, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, the young person in me, the new generation, the person that wants instant gratification, but it is so nice seeing... Kabuna and Kamai growing up in the now. Like it's just it's nice to see where they were in December and now ten months later here's where they are now and there's been a definitive change and a definitive evolution. And I just I like that. I think it's really, really nice to see.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that I've always like the whole you lose for two years and you go on excursion and then you suddenly start winning. Like we're used to that structure, but I don't feel like it's entirely realistic. With how like athletes work in a way, like not to go tell Kenny Omega, I sell like how athletes sell, which you no, know, it's kind of wild that he even said that, but <laughs> it makes sense. Like seeing people progress, like especially someone so young in their career, match by match, month by month. That if you're getting beat down by everyone over like a two year period, and you go away and you come back a new year, and you're suddenly winning, then you're like, did you like find uh, Michael's secret drink from Slant- uh, from uh, Space Jam? Like that's the only way it makes sense here. Whereas this makes entirely perfect sense to me like the idea of oh no like they've been stepping it up and it rewards people who've been kind of following it as well and you're like okay these kids are figuring it out there and maybe maybe some people call it instant gratification and this might be a hot take but I think this is more natural expectation of athletics in a way so I found that incredibly I thought I find it incredibly fulfilling to say that and then in the next match we had Kakuta getting the win over Kakatora with the rolling larry in 13:37. a uh, Kakuta teamed with Masato Yoshino which was kind of interesting, and Ginky was with his former Jimmy's teammate, Kakatora, as well, and it's something where Kakatora and uh, Kakuta has such good chemistry that made me think of when was the last time I really enjoyed Kakatora this much, and it might have been like the matches he had with Yamamura when he was Bravegate champion.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, you're coming to the right department here of people that have been perpetually disappointed by Kakatora, but... I thought this match ruled, and I thought a large part of that was him. And like I said earlier, him and Kakuta just beating each other up in a way that was so incredibly satisfying. And I really think that is why the Shingo comp at least needed to be floated out there because Kutu- Kakuta's coming across like a tough guy. And that mm-hmm. is something that we see it with Fuji and with Mochizuki and with Akuta and I think to an extent Ashida. Although, I, Ishida is a, another story. He really reminds me of 2003 Kenta, which is just about as nice of a compliment as I can <laughs> give somebody. It's, it's, it's really high praise, but there's something about Kakuta that comes across very tough and a promotion that is typically very flashy and very based on skill, and I kind of just feel like in the Dragon Gate bar fight... Which I hope one day they do, similar to... Mike, do you remember the APA bar fight on a random WWE pay-per-view oh, like yeah. 15 years ago? I hope they book that one day in and I just hope that we've got Fuji throwing young boys across bar tables. And obviously, if there's ever a situation for Kanichiro or Rai to thrive in, that is going to be it. I'm sure... Like, Altimo is probably pretty deadly in that situation, but I think the sleeper, I think the guy you're going to get the best odds are in that Dragon Bar fight is Madoka Kakuta, because he comes across really tough, and he did in this match, and I thought it was, uh, especially coming after Kabuna, and Kamai getting such a an impressive victory, even if, if, even if it was through nefarious circumstances, seeing Kakuta get a clean win here, was a very interesting thing to see. Again, it's building that momentum, and I really like to see it.
2: Yeah, and, and like the big moment was in the closing stretch when it was Kagatora and Kakuta doing a, a slap fight, just chopping the crap out of each other. And then there's a, a slight moment where Kagatora had like his wrist tape. He takes off his gloves and his wrist tape, and he's like, All right, we want to do this. We're going to do this. That I think Kagatora has to be on one side of the bar fight because he's like the unassuming guy that's like, Well, i guess this is happening and like just getting himself ready and absolutely kenichi Rai has to be involved he's probably the person in the back alley chain smoking uh, bargain brand cigarettes and, and trying to call up his guy to make a bet on a horse race like well, like we need to have kenichi orai's back alley i feel like that's the next rookie like uh rookie mentorship thing is, is kids who just want to learn to be absolute dirtbags
0: Well, the other thing with Kagatora, if we're going to continue on this bar fight analogy, which I do find to be very fun, is that Kagatora is a dude that gets bored easily. I mean, he left Dragon Gate, or I guess, you know, he left Torimon and never really transitioned into Dragon Gate. Uh, Well, yeah, it was what Torimon X, right?
2: Yeah, he was Torimon X. He was the former Suicita.
0: That's what it was. But, But he abandoned the promotion and then, you know, goes to El Dorado and is working Big Japan and you know, found himself you know in the in the U.S. indie scene for a half a second. He's a dude that gets bored, and I'm afraid that that boredom could manifest itself into very violent energy if he is provoked in the wrong way.
2: Yeah, and it's something where, like, I mean, he was in Michinoku Pro for a while. He was someone that before he kind of like stabilized and was in Dragon Gate full time. He he would get around. This is a guy that that would get around. So it gives him something to, to like sink his sink his teeth into i find like that pretty important and what better way to sink it, your teeth into it than fighting in a bar with like madoka kakuto Is like well i guess we're doing this now because i imagine he's a very unassuming person that's like well we're fighting now i guess and then he starts like throwing bombs whereas kakatora is like hey punk we're doing this all right ripping off the wrist tape let's do this
0: i think we have nailed this analogy mike i'm really <laughs> proud of both of us
2: well speaking about someone getting nailed it was <laughs> the next match was a trios match with the Torimon team of ultimo dragon dragon kid and shuji kondo versus kazuma sakamoto diamante and Hio of red and after a low blow that was the best sold low blow of all time diamante penned ultimo dragon you know what kids uh when we're recording this we're recording this on a thursday of course it's the eighth I was surprised by the power of the principal that, after such a devastating low blow, was able to send a video to his good friend Chris Jericho.
0: Look, more power to him. That is obviously the buzz of wrestling Twitter today. Is the founder of Toriumon and the figurehead of Drangate making waves in the AEW, there's no other Japanese promotion that is getting a lot of press about that today, so it's nice to see Drangate in the forefront of people's minds. But, Mike, I, I mean, we talked about Southern Style Tags earlier. We talked about Continental Wrestling. Ultimo is so old school, and I love it so much. This man takes a low blow, and he sold it more than any single move is going to get sold <laughs> on The Collective this weekend. We're going to see, Mike, you're going to have to review these shows beyond the paywall, and I know you're looking forward to it some Contrived I feel like Patrick Ewing, the step back one legged jumper. Do practice that shot. We're gonna see some top rope Canadian destroyer through a door and a glass pallet at the collective this weekend, and the guy's gonna pop right back up. It's gonna be the big spot that he knows no sells a move that should result in death. Ultimo dragon got need in the groin. And, and it was not a very
2: strong looking kick. Let's get awful this clear. on camera.
0: Yeah. You would have thought this man had gotten shot multiple times. He was down in a prone position. He did not leave the ring under his own power. He was carried to the back by Shuji Kondo. He is all about protecting his image. He is the best man in wrestling. This moment alone, this moment alone makes Ultimo's return entirely worth it.
2: I, I mean, I don't want to talk about the forbidden door being open when, when the Dragon's Gate opened. And, <laughs> and and not to go on full tangent, I imagine there were a couple people who were pretty peeved to see that Ultimo had a video on Dynamite who probably were, like, sitting at home going, he's here now? Or he's doing <laughs> oh, now? come
0: on! Like, oh, we gotta do this again? That's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing. I was also very surprised and i guess maybe we're the people that need to fuel that speculation maybe we need to to tweet out some cryptic things but should we start
2: astroturfing things you know how i love like starting a brand basically and speaking things out of speaking things into the power case you're talking to the right person
0: it just seems like shima and i'll name names i'll do it this is the open the voice gate podcast we name names Shima, someone that sits down every single week and posts on social media how excited he is to watch dynamite. And I will do another check, but I believe this I man has tweeted. been this man has been silent about dynamite this week. <laughs>
2: uh, I'm right now checking his Twitter account, Supershima1115.
0: I know yeah. he's watching he's watching the Jericho anniversary show. There's a tweet from last night.
2: Yeah, yeah, saying it was amazing and that was it uh yeah uh i mean yeah that i i wonder the thoughts i were racing through house what was going on in the oshima household last night
0: look that's a question i'm constantly wondering it seems like a <laughs> fascinating existence uh, between that and unfortunately that horrible what was it a bike accident he was in a few weeks ago
2: yeah he he was hit by a car on his bicycle
0: can you imagine the life like and look i love shima but this dude's going from there's a video of him sitting behind the merch table in a closet watching t hawk and zero one a few days later he gets hit by a a a car on his bike and then he's like well finally i get to come home and watch my favorite wrestling show AEW dynamite and ultimo dragon appears
2: (laughs) what a week for him well, but but case, okay, so you, you can still pay uh, $88 to go sit in an art gallery and watch a show live or watch it from his cell phone for $30. Oh, boy. I'm just going to leave that thought hanging here as we move on oh, to something that was an appearance of its own as it was a no contest in the singles match on the show, Daya and Yoshida, because we had interference. We have a new debut. It was Dia Inferno who came out, unmasked Daya. Sounds like that should be like a, a disqualification. I feel like in the rule books, I, I, I'm going to take this up with GM Yagi, because if, if you ask me, you unmask someone and you start attacking them, that's the person who, who got attacked. He gets the match because he he there's an interference from the other side, but we have now a new member of RED, Daya Inferno, in case, how long have I been saying I want to see a generational rival with Dragon Daya? I feel like I've been saying this since the start.
0: That is that is accurate. I can come on this podcast and say that that is something you have been wishing for for a long time. Now, let's play the fun game. You know, we've got a, a demon that da, was da, unveiled da, later da, in the da, show, da, but da, now da, we da, have da, da, Daya da, Inferno, who I, I do need to say up top what an amazing debut! I mean, what how good was this segment, Mike?
2: It, it, it's like the one time I'm sad that there was. That the protocols were there, just because of the amount of shock and of horror that you could feel through the crowd, because you could sense the crowd being silent in being silent in a way that they probably would be shrieking or booing. Like it was like one of those things that is like dead silence. Inferno comes out, he attacks, he attacks Daya rips off his mask from a staining base, which is something that usually you don't do, you don't do because then you could like do this. So this guy just did not care. He has, like, he, has the, he has, like, Drago's mask, but better. He's wearing, like, all black with blood splatters. He has a dry fit on, which, for the guy who I think it is, probably don't dr- drop the dry fit. Like, it makes it more obvious who you are. And just, like, R.E.D. having to hold him back from Daya as Daya escaped. What a debut him guy Inferno.
0: barking like a dog basically at the drangate generation it was unbelievable how vicious and i use the word unhinged in my review i mean this is as good of a debut as i've ever seen and think about you know the doctor muscles and whatever other characters
2: metal warriors
0: metal warrior thank you you know that, that drangate typically uses even these demons i've never seen anything come across quite like this i mean he looked Deranged. And it's not just that he came in the ring and attacked Dragon Daya. He comes in the ring and stands in between Yoshida and Daya. And then kind of waves Yoshida off before attacking him. And that that few seconds where he was standing in between the two was absolutely horrifying. I mean, it was so well done. And now we get him wrestling immediately. He's on the Kyoto show that we'll preview in just a minute. But... You reference the dry fit. You think that gives away who it is. I think I have scientific reasoning uh, behind my pick for who it is. We're probably on the same page, but let's get it out in the open. Let's pour some gasoline on this fire and name names like I just talked about, Mike. Who do we think is under the Daya Inferno mask?
2: I would say with a uh, 60% probability that it's Yuki Yoshioka.
0: Mike, do you remember anything... From the March 2020 Cork and Hall card, the show that never ended up happening. It was headlined by a GHC title match that was eventually moved to the empty arena. But do you remember anything else from that show?
2: Oh, it was supposed to be Yoshioka versus Daya.
0: It was supposed to be Yoshioka versus Daya in match three. And then from there, Yoshioka was going to go to Mexico. So I can say with 98% certainty that under this mask is Yuki Yoshioka. And look, he's never had a singles match against Dragon Daya. If you look on their cage matches, it's not like they've even wrestled each other all that much. It seems like for two guys that debuted roughly around the same time period, they've only got 11 matches with one another. They've kind of bypassed each other along the way, and one of those matches was on a prime zone, so you're really looking at 10 legitimate matches All tags, most of them non-televised, some even where they're teaming against one another, so we really don't have a good feel for what their chemistry is like, but whatever critiques, and they weren't even critiques, but you have to remember, we were comparing Yoshioka to a Susumu Yokosuka, almost that silent killer type, someone that didn't really have the charisma of a Yamato, or if I almost said Shima, uh, of a Yamato or a BB Hulk or one of these top-level guys. Under this mask, oh my god, he comes across like a killer. It is so cool to see, assuming this is Yoshioka, the transformation that happened during this excursion. Because even though he's under a mask, he feels just reborn. I mean, this was such an exciting debut, and now I'm even more excited to see him work because... The storyline all year has been Dragon Diet cannot get over R.E.D. He cannot overcome this heal unit. And now they've got a guy in there specifically to torment him.
2: Yeah, and just to, like, like, say, he was someone that, like, the big thing about Yoshioka leaving wasn't, like, it was going to be, like, a learning excursion. It was something about getting him out of everyone's hair for a while. Like, it was, like, maybe he... Maybe he picks up some things, but we just kind of need him to go do this. We kind of need Yoshioka to go do something else for a little bit. And why would you need to have someone go do something else something else for a little bit? Because you're going to bring him in as the generational rival of the next generation of the Dragon Legacy. Like it, it writes itself. And to like put a further point on this, I'm so I said sixty percent for Yoshioka, right? That's what I said a couple minutes ago. That is what you said. The only other possibility given body type is it's a new debut. Like it does not fit Shun Skywalker, Shun Skywalker. The last time I saw him a couple of weeks ago in Mexico, he is still kind of a lanky boy. You know, he did not put on mass. Yoshioka, when he was in Mexico, not saying that he was out of shape. He was someone that just kind of, you know, like he was not hitting the gym as much as this. He was not lean. And I feel like that's what the dry fit kind of giveaway.
0: Yeah, it's either Yoshioka or I mean, we know for a fact there are more people in the dojo waiting to make their debut. If somehow, it's one of those guys, then oh my god, I mean, we are on to something special here. Forget the debut of Strong Machine J and the debuts of Junakiyama as these all-time historical debuts. If this guy hits the ground running in Kyoto, we've got another conversation to have, given the rumors that we've heard coming out of the Dragon Gate Dojo and the talent that is there now. But I I don't see that being the case here. Storyline-wise, and with your reasoning for the excursion that Yoshihaka went on, it would make perfect sense that it's him. I think it's him. And I think we'll have a much better inclination coming out of the KBS Hall show this weekend.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that a lot of things will be decided in Kyoto. Uh, The next match we had, do you have any other takes on Inferno before we move on? Like I'm stoked. Like this is, I've been calling this for this for like about a year now or well over a year now. I'm, this is like the perfect thing to do for Daya. It makes sense. Now everything that's played out that not only does R.E.D. have his number, they have a secret weapon against them like now it makes sense there and you know it's something that i hope they don't burn through this this is something that like one of the cool things about dragon kid versus darkness dragon was it went to such a fever pitch that they had to have the mask versus mask match at absolute Munte. so that's like that's what i'm hoping for in this and for someone like if this ends up being who we think this is great use of yoshioka he's like he was always going to be like the the quiet susumu guy this gives him something else and i think that's really cool
0: yeah, so, my, other... my 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 final thoughts on the debut is that for as great as the main event was this segment, the Daya versus Yoshida match and the debut of Daya Inferno, this is the essential viewing. If you watch one thing from this show, it's this segment. If you haven't seen it yet, pause the podcast, watch the segment, and then come back to us to break down the last two matches. But this is this was such a home run. This was so great to see.
2: I mean, I'm going to find time to watch the English commentary version, because I'm excited to see what Jay has to say about this and how Ho-Ho going to react to this. Like, it's that powerful of a moment, in my opinion.
0: We probably need to go back and do some work on the Dragon Kid versus Kness feud, or I guess the Darkness Dragon feud, and and maybe attempt, as this feud goes along, this, this contemporary feud, to draw some parallels between the two, because that is, for Torimon especially, that was peak storytelling there, and the impression that I've got from... Uh, people that have connections to—I I will say—they have connections to the storyline, but they're not Dragon Gate affiliated. I, I've heard—I heard from some interesting people about Inferno, people that I don't typically hear from a day or two after a Cork and Hall show. I—I I think this is uh, this has a chance to be really high-level storytelling, and I'm really excited about it.
2: Yeah, me too, me too, and it's—it's it's gonna be a cool thing. I mean. The look is awesome, and it's one of those things that you see a guy like this, you see him do things like this, and even if you aren't a big Dragon System head, you're like, that dude looks like a badass, and and that's powerful. And I think that that draws interest. Like, I've heard more from people over the last few days for that as well, or the last 24 hours, rather. And then we had a six-man tag team match. It was Team Boku of Naruki Toys, Ryo Saito, and Ryo the uh, versus the Dragon Gate Generation team of Yokosuka San Maria, Punch Tomonaga, and U.T., it was Shimizu with the Ultimo-style La magistral Cradle over Punch Tomonaga. And, like, this is just, like, was... Like, there's not a whole lot about this match. Uh, it was a fun match, in my opinion. We got to see the world's largest or highest sky love, which was cool. And Thank just you a whole for lo-
0: mentioning that. That sky love was absolutely insane.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it's just... Uh, it, it's just one of those things that it's... I mean, Shimizu's always been a big boy. He's a powerful boy. He was nationally ranked at one point in with the shot put that's why it was called the shot put slam so no wonder he was able to help base and launch Maria that high in the air with that and it just was this was just like dudes being dudes guys rock you know what I mean that's what the dudes rock that's how that's how that's how Boku team real team Boku really is so I I I enjoyed this a lot this was just like a fun thing and it's something that you know then they immediately tried to recruit Punch Hamanaga post-match and Punch Hamanaga seemed frustrated and it's like I don't know yet but we get resolution about that going to the main event. Uh, do you have any other big tag, big thoughts about the trio stack?
0: No, it was uh, it was a disappointing cork and semi main event from a match quality perspective. But it was only nine minutes, and we got an angle coming out of it, so it's it's hard to complain about it too much.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then we had the main event. This was Dragon Gate versus R.E.D. Dragon Gate team was Yamato, KZ, Binke, and Kota Minenura going against Ada, BB Hulk, Kaido Ishida, and Kai. Really, like, the top four of both units going head-to-head against each other. The finish was when they got everyone isolated, and it was just Benkei and Kaido Ishida. And then we had the uh, yellow mask demon pop into the ring, um unmask himself as Keisuke Akuda. And after a moment, he was able to—he did a a spin kick that looked like it was going for Benkei, but instead it hit Kaido Ishida, uh, Ben was able to roll him up, pin Ishida— and it was revealed that the Yellow Dylan mask all along was a giant ruse. The best bros are best bros for life.
0: What an awesome, what an awesome, awesome angle. I mean, this was done so well. And part of it is is legitimate in this in this best bros ideology that you just mentioned. The genuine joy that seemed to drip off the faces of Ben K and Akuda after the match and the the handshake that they immediately go into. Like this was a special moment that I I think Dragon Gate was able to capitalize on some very just human elements that I think are so void in wrestling. Typically, you know, it's not like tag teams typically come across as friends. You know, they come across as as coworkers. Really, Ben Kay and Akuda after this match came across like best friends, which they are, and it was just a it was a really nice moment. After my, you know, I'm watching this live, and the demon unmasked, and who's it going to be? And it's Akuda, and I kind of sank a little bit, like, oh man, that was that's a bummer. And then he roundhouse kicks Ashita, and I am back in immediately because this is the best Bravegate feud we've had in nearly a decade. For as enjoyable as the rise of KZ into Tozawa into Kotoka was. This Ashida versus Akuda thing is the best thing in the scene since Pac versus Ricochet.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's something that, out of wrestling, and again, inherent bias is always here. I, I don't feel like I should even really have to say that, but I feel like I should. This is why this is the best feud in wrestling in 2020. They built it up in such a way that I was like, no, everyone thought you were getting in my head. No. Me and my gym class best friend, uh, we managed to pull a fast one over like the the conniving like the guy who was stirring the drink, the guy who seemed like he had his number was getting to his head. No, he didn't. It was the it was the time for the bros to get one over on it, and it just felt like so good and like was like the perfectly logical way. After all this, like no, and we aren't done. I'm facing a gate of destiny. That's a brave gate match here, and just incredible thing. And it came after a match that was just clicking on so many levels in a way that Dragon Gate's able to both uh, have the output and then have these emotional moments like tie in and weave like incredibly fulfilling story that would fit in, in any year of the Dragon
0: System, COVID or not. Do you know, and you would be the person that would know better than May, is there a relationship between Kota Menora and B.B. Hulk behind the scenes? Because I think it was it was either Alan Forell or Joe Lanza that mentioned, you know, Hulk took the fall and the Memorial Gate-Twin Gate match to Minora. And I believe on the July 15th Osaka show, Menorah pinned Hulk as well. And in this match, Hulk was just so giving to Menorah and bumped so well for his offense. Maybe they just like each other. Maybe Hulk's just being a professional. But I don't know if there's a a deeper relationship there. Not
2: to my knowledge. I don't know of one. Uh, They're not, I mean, Hulk famously is a guy from Hokkaido. He's from, and that's like a very isolating place. When you compare it to like the rest of Japan, that's why him and KZ were such a big deal as two guys from, uh, KZ from Abetsu and uh, Hulk from Sapporo. Like that was a big thing. I don't think that they have that kind of, Relationship, I think they just work well together, or maybe there might be a mentorship happening that I haven't heard of, but not to my knowledge.
0: they really do work well together. I think in this current iteration of Hulk, which is you know he's someone that's slower than most guys on the roster now, and he really has to rely on his strikes to get him over his best chemistry on the rosters with menorah. It's not with Yamato or with Kai, who we spent most of the past year wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's Minora who he works really, really well against. And it, it seems like there's a genuine appreciation for uh, from Minora's side what Hulk has done in his career, and then from Hulk's side what he can do for Minora's career. And so while this match was loaded with again, you know, Yamato KZ Benkei, Ata Ishida Kai it is menorah and Hulk that stood out to me most outside of the the demon angle, just because I I think those two work really, really well together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that like, they've now gotten to a point in this feud where like, we're now getting like these great eight man tags or eight man tags that are main eventing. some main eventing between these two feuds that it's in a lot of ways pretty interesting to me because this stuff is like happening, but it's also happening with like, you have another team in there that's not as like, pretty much the only big difference between this and the uh, semi-main event of the first show and fukuoka was you had yamato in there for yosuke samaria you had Benkei in there and then you pretty much and then you had Kazma with Ishida. so like i mean like they're getting to a point now where the at least dragon gate army and red now you have at least five or six people you know it's one of those things that It's really fulfilling, and you just throw together, like, a combination of these teams, and they they all work together, and people have, like, special chemistry. Like, KZ and Ishida had, like, the strike exchange that they were using the crane, so they got in tight of them, and it was, like, exceptional stuff as well. And it's just really, like, enjoyable, like, having, like, these, like, this warfare work out in this way. Like, are there things we're more wondering about, more turns, more just kind of things like this? Not as much as before, but I think, like, the ring output now is reaching a point where... It did feel kind of weird talking about, like, Blood Warriors and Junction 3 in comparison to this, but the ring output is, I would argue, up there, if not just a little shade below.
0: We're, we're missing the one or two really high-end match-of-the-year contender matches, part of that being that Ato just hasn't defended his title yet, so maybe that narrative starts to shift a little bit after Gate of Destiny, because part of why Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 was so special was... We had Masaki Mochizuki's Open the Dream Gate run, which is a tier below Kenta Kobashi's GHC Heavyweight Championship reign, but on the same level as Samoa Joe's Ring of Honor World title run or Brian Danielson's Ring of Honor World title run or whatever 21st century comparison you want to make, with the exception of Kobashi, which is the greatest title run ever. Masaki Mochizuki was on that next tier, and he was carrying guys like Yasushi Kanda and Cyber Kong to the best matches of their career, and then giving people like BB Hulk and Akira Tozawa the best matches of their career. So we're missing the really high end stuff there. And then you know Mike and I, if you're for whatever reason not listening to our Try and Get USA rewind and rewatch shows. We just completed 2011, or I think we're going to uh, finish our... The the final show of 2011 will air this upcoming Monday. Right. And we, me especially, but Micah every once in a while, would dip in and rewatch some of the Junction 3 versus Blood Warrior stuff that was going on in 2011 in Japan. And, you know, for as great as this match was, it wasn't quite on the level of maybe some of the more high-end multi-man matches, but I think we're basing this generational warfare off of Blood Warriors versus Junction 3, which saw Blood Warriors form in January of 2011, similar to when this generational warfare took off. Now, it took Junction 3 five months to fully form, and then we had, you know, essentially nine months of this full two-unit warfare thing going on. But I I think, and I don't know if it's this way with you, but I have just projected, like, well, Generational Warfare will probably be done in February of 2021, because that's what they did with Blood Warriors versus Junction 3. But, there's no... There's nothing that says they have to finish it there. You know, this could go into world of next year, and if the storytelling continues to be as interesting as it is right now, I will be more than welcome to that, because I really like what they're doing, and I think they not only have more time to have those high-end matches, but I still think we're a turn or two and a swerve or two away from this feud being all said and done. I-, I think they still have a lot of ideas left in the tank for specifically Toriumon versus Dragon Gate versus R.E.D.
2: Yeah. 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 Like w- w- we're coming to a point now where it's like the pot is simmering, but it's what, what brings to a full boil. And you're right. That it needs like the big things. They need like a couple more of the big turns and they need like the, Exceptional top of the line masks matches that make people. They've done a lot of stuff of elevating people, like we've talked about and Ora a lot, like moving him and giving him the Rocket Pack over the last three months. But I, I, you're absolutely right about that as well. It's just something that is very enjoyable to watch this feud right now, especially in comparison to the rest of what's going on in wrestling right now. Being like, all right, now I'm starting to feel things being built up in the fever pitch, and then you immediately get that the next show. So it'll be very, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, things post match of course we already talked about the uh, yellow demon mask reveal being Akuda. Uh, also after the match Punch Amonaga made his decision he is going to join Team Boku and and Dragon Gate army was like oh yeah no that's cool bye and i thought that was really fun- <laughs> funny like uh, Jason Lee in the background just waving bye bye at Punch Managa, <laughs> and Punch Amonaga being <laughs> mad that the people weren't fi- they weren't fighting for him to stay
0: arguing this hard for Punch Tamanaga is the Dragon Gate equivalent of tanking and, you know, we'll see if this process, maybe this is what it is. Maybe Bigar R Shibizu trusts the process more than the 76ers ever did, and he's going to recruit Punch Tamanaga to reset him on the card. And then maybe by this time next year, we're looking at Open the Dream Gate champion Ryotsu Shibizu. Who knows what could happen? All I know is that if you look at the Dragon Gate website right now, Doi and Saito are affiliated with both Team Boku and Toriumon Generation, Punch Tamanaga, fully Team Boku twenty four seven.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and I, I I mean he he embodies the Boku spirit. Like the fact that like he's yes, joining he in there, <laughs> he's joining in there, and he's he's joined the poker game. You know, he's bringing up here. Maybe he has like a nice like maybe he's going to order pizza for the guys. Maybe if we're going to go back to the poker night analogy, uh, he's the one to make sure the food is ready for them. But everyone's like, okay, he's kind of a fuck up. But you know, he always gets the good pizza.
0: I don't. That's interesting. I don't see Punch. Having money. I think he's the guy that you constantly need to spot a five for. Punch Tabernaga is the walking embodiment of I'll get you later. And that is sort of the vibe that I pick up from him there. The only reason that he's invited to Poker Night is that he's been invited to Poker Night for the last eight years. And what are we going to do? Not invite him? Like, we don't want to deal with that headache. He's here. We have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to invite
2: him. I mean, he doesn't have much else going on in his life. You know, I mean, he's really holding on to this last thing. You know, like this is the, th- the one thing of each week he's looking forward to. Whereas the rest of the guys are like, oh yeah, no, I'll go do this, but tomorrow I gotta go to Costco with the wife. So
0: let's talk about Kyoto KBS Hall on October 11th.
2: Yep, yep, that's gonna be on the 11th. They will be back in Kyoto. Interesting card. I just like running down the uh, the matches. We have an opener of a drag of the Toriyama team of Masato Yoshino, Susumi Yokosuka, and Suji Kondo versus Jason Lee, Yosuke Maria and Jimmy. We didn't talk a lot about Jimmy. Jimmy has been getting more and more work, and it's something that it's nice to see more of Jimmy so far in the, the show. I think this is the uh, – the, he was not at Cork, and he was not on – oh, no, he was on Cork, and never mind. No, he wasn't. No, never he was mind. not. I'm confused So, So, I mean, like three out of four shows for him is a definite step up. He was someone that needed to get the ring time. I'm happy he's back here. Uh, other than that, I, that looks like an opener to me.
0: Yeah, I like that Jimmy's here. I think he's going to get killed by Shuji Kondo, and it should be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, uh, singles match, Kakatora versus Diamante. I think we all can see where this is going to go with that match. No reason to delve into it too much. Tag team match, UT and Takeda Kame. It, it is the small, the, the, the they are the small beans of the roster <laughs> versus Kinto Kabune and Madoka Kakuta. That's going to be a real interesting tag given the last week, in my opinion. I think that it's going to be interesting. And getting to see UT try to like grab a hold on Kakuta is incredibly fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, Jesus, I had not thought about that. UT and Kamai are a really small team, but I, I think I, I think we're going to see Kabune and Kukute get the win over UT here. I think for as talented as he is, he's just hurt all the time, so UT is really the lowest-ranking member of the Gate generation, right. and I think they want these rookies getting pins over main roster guys, and that's what we're going to see here. This match should be a lot of fun, though. I, I'm really excited about this.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then we're going to get into a stretch of matches that are going to be really interesting, in my opinion. Uh, starting from there, uh, Torimon versus Red, Ultimo and Ginky versus Benkei and Minenora. So mixed teams, but you know, I mean, uh poor Ginky. He's going to be taking a lot of this, but you know, it'll be a good time.
0: Well, okay, so that's that's what I wanted to ask you. Is there a situation here where Benkei takes the fall because Horaguchi is he in? He's in that Gate of Destiny Twin game he match, is. isn't he? he is. Yeah, yes. I don't think Horaguchi is taking the pin. I, I don't think Minoru is taking the pin, and we know Ultimo is not taking the pin. I think Horiguchi is backsliding Benkei here.
2: Yeah, and that's happened a couple weeks ago, so I'm with you on that. Uh, semi-main event, apparently Naruki Doi did not have better things to do because he's going to be teaming with Shimizu and Tominaga. Uh, team Boku versus BB Hulk, Takashi Yoshida, and Kazuma Sakamoto. This will be a fascinating tag match to kind of just see Doi dealing with the knucklehead.
0: Yeah, the dynamics are gonna be off the charts here. I guess maybe I, I mean they've gotta save some stuff for Kobe World. I, I don't I, I don't see a lot of stuff being built for World, because I thought mm-hmm. when they booked Ashida versus Akuda, just for the sake of variety, they would throw that onto the big show, but they put it on Gate of Destiny instead. So My inclination with Yoshida and Sakamoto in this match is, well, maybe they do the Triangle Gate match there, and then we can scrap our our nine-man Triangle Gate match for World that we discussed earlier. But I I don't know. I I think Team Boku is getting a Triangle Gate shot sooner rather than later. I guess we just have to figure out what show it's on.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or because have Tobinaga lose. You know, I mean, Tomonaga. In every match, the, the safe option is always to say Tomonaga takes the fall. So, I mean, we, we could be saying all these things about Team Poku, and then nothing happens because it's Tomonaga. Like, there's always that option. That is option very.
0: Case. That is very true. Uh,
2: something that I did notice, like just briefly touching on the Gay Destiny match, this would be 365 days, not a full calendar year because we had the leap year, leap day this year, but 365 days if Ishida retains. In his hometown, at the arena he won the title at at Gate Destiny 2019, he will cross the one-year mark as Brave Gate Champion.
0: Kind I'm not big. I'm not ready to make any predictions no. yet, but I think... Th- I thought that th- was fascinating. It is. That was a fascinating is. thing. It, it, it's, a, it's a good stat, and you can say, you know, COVID cost us this and that, and maybe it should disqualify Ishida from this conversation, but other than Pac's 2011 run, which, again, is untouchable. I I I, I hope we never see anyone surpass that range just because I don't know what they would have to do. It seems like it would be a threat to public safety to have a better run than Pac did with this belt. But Ishida's now up there as one of the best individual Bravegate champions we've ever seen. And no matter the result of the Akuda match, whether he retains or whether Akuda ends his reign at exactly 365 days... It's an all-time great Brave Gate run, and and one that should be remembered as such.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, it should be. And speaking about Ishida and Okuda, they are in the main event. This is the Dragon Gate versus RED 8-man tag. Yamato, KZ, Keisuke Akuda, and Dragon Daya are going up against Ada, Kaido Ishida, Kai, and the debuting Daya Inferno. So, we're going to know real quick, and we might be real dummies here. We might be real dummies, and this could be a debut. Team. It could be that somehow over the last three weeks, Shun Skywalker decided to bulk up, but we will be able to probably figure out pretty quickly who Die Inferno is in this match. And I'm stoked to see, like, what the style is going to be. Like, I, he's basically been treated as a mad dog. Well, how about you face against Mr. Danger Zone, Keisuke Akuda in this match? What's going to be when Inferno is unleashed on KZ? The person, like, is he going to try to protect Ada in front of the, this... Uh, Dreamgate match that's going to be happening in a few weeks, and then Yamato's in the mix as well versus Kai. It's a really fascinating uh, preview match, and it's something that usually we talked about how the preview matches before the cage matches usually feel kind of rote. This one is very interesting to me. Like This is a good preview match, and we get a lot of new things on offer here, in my opinion.
0: This is as excited as I've been for a match all year. I mean, legitimately. I am so into this Diane Inferno character after the debut. It can't be Shun. I mean, Shun is seven inches taller than Yoshioka,
2: Uh, seven centimeters. Seven
0: centimeters. (laughs) Yeah. I was just talking to somebody about the metric system a few days ago and how it's just insane that we don't use it. But that's besides the point. But no, you're right. It is, I, I misspoke. It is seven centimeters taller. But still, like, it's not Shun. It doesn't look like Shun. It's not tall enough to be Shun. It's not Shun. It's either someone we don't know or it's Yoshioka, and I lean towards the latter in that argument. And I just, I can't wait to see What he wrestles like, if it's anything like that debut, the the movements that he took on, again, essentially barking like a dog at the Dragon Gate Generation, we are in for a a treat if he wrestles anything like that, and he's with an A-team of Dragon Gate Generation guys, there's no Slouches here, there's no Strong Machine J, or even with all due respect... Uh, uh, Yosuke Santamaria or a Jason Lee even. Like, these are the top guys in the unit. And so this has a chance. And the opposing side, it's not like you've got BB Hulk or Yoshida or even a Diamante. You've got the A-team of R.E.D. So this could be a really, really high-level match in a venue that always hosts good shows but never really has those great matches. I I should probably temper my expectations a little bit, but just on paper... I I am salivating over the idea of this match. I cannot wait.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be the show that's going to be on the Dragon Gate Network on the 11th, 5 p.m. Japanese Standard Time. That's 4 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Central, and 9 a.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time, I believe. I don't have my clock in front of me, but it's it's a loaded card, especially for Kyoto, and I'll be interested to see what goes what's going on from there. We've already pretty much talked about everything that was added on to Gated Destiny. Uh, schedule ahead, uh, they will be back in their, in the hollow ground of Kobe Sambo Hall on the 17th. They will be tipping Nara. We were thinking that they were, and they are. They're going to be tipping Nara for DOI's 20th anniversary. And that's it for the month of October. The, the, they're lulling us into this because I've already looked up the schedule, at least for the first part of November. And... Within a 12-day period, we're getting Gate of Destiny, Cork and Hall, Kyoto, and then Kobe World. So, Enjoy the, the, the relative piece now. It's just going to get crazier from here. Uh, case, uh, I think that's probably going to do it for this week. Do you have anything else you wanted to add or talk about before we get out of here?
0: That is all I've got.
2: Alright, so that's going to do it for this week of Open the Voice Gate. You can follow our Twitter account at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case personally at underscore in your case. and You can follow me at Fujiheya with two eyes like Don Fuji. But that's going to do it for this week's weekly update. We'll be back with you next week talking about this crazy Kyoto card. So for case, I'm Mike, and thank you for listening to Open the Voice Gate. Take care.